can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long tongue liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him that God's gonna cut you down. Tell him that God's gonna cut you down. Tell him that God's gonna cut you down. Well, good morning, church. My name is Joe. I'm the next gen pastor here at Fieldstone through this summer series of Judges. We're gonna, I'm going to be continuing it today. Uh, Judges is one of those most pivotal books. It's not like a transitional book, but it's a very pivotal book, and it explains where, how Israel became what they are and, and later in the New Testament. And so just to recap really quick, you had they were set free from slavery from Egypt, and then you had Moses wandering in the desert for 40 years, and during that time, a lot of the, the first five books of the Bible were written, the, the laws and the way that they were supposed to live in this new nation, how God was going to set it up, was all written down and, and explained to the, new, uh, to the new nation of Israel. And then they get in, and Joshua comes in, and he conquers the land. He takes the land that was flowing with milk and honey that, that God promised to them. And then we get into the book of Judges. And so time kind of goes on, and, and to understand the book of Judges, I, I just want to kind of go over a few things. Uh, and the first thing I want you to kind of know about this kind of time period is that when God designed and set up the nation of Israel, he designed it to have no king. In fact, the nation, like God was supposed to be their king. He, he didn't have some earthly king, and he designated king. And, and, and really, the closest thing to a king they would have would be a, a priest or a prophet, someone who spoke on behalf of God. And so when they were in trouble, when they were going through hard times, when other nations would confront them, the nation had to turn to God for direction and for advice. And that's kind of what they're doing within the book of Judges. And two, I want you to know something else about the book of Judges, is that in ancient culture, your army, your nation, was viewed only as powerful and as fruitful as the God you worshipped. So here's a fun one. God became known, he became feared, and he became even worshipped because of winning wars and battles. Yet that's how they viewed the nation. If that your God was for you, like, you would win these battles. You would, you would conquer the other nations, and ultimately other nations would be fearful of your God or even turning to your God. And then going along that with number three, in some ways, through the reading of Judges, sometimes God is misrepresented. Sometimes God is mainly viewed as this God of punishment when we read the, the book of Judges, this God of hardcore consequences through the book of Judges or God causing all this to happen when really the book of Judges, there is a God full of grace and mercy. It's a God pursuing his people, using his people for his plan and purpose because when we read through the book of Judges, it was Israel always walking away. 
And the interesting thing is that God wouldn't let generations go by where, where his name would go forgotten. It was like immediately. Like God would turn the generation back. God would allow those things to, to happen and he would take those bad things that would happen and use it for his glory to draw them near to him, to turn them back to him, to, to show them that they are in need of a savior and they can't depend on themselves. This is the framework that we're kind of working in in the book of Judges. Today we're going to be talking about a very classic judge that you would hear in vacation Bible school. Maybe Justin wanted me to have this one because I'm a youth pastor. But we're going to be talking about Gideon. Gideon. Great story within the Bible. It covers about three chapters in the book of Judges. So we're going to be doing a lot of reading today. We're not going to read it all. But we're going to start in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. If you have your Bible, open it up. Otherwise, the lyrics will be on the screen. Not lyrics, the verses will be on the screen. Verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of Midian was so oppressive... The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. So, as I was studying for this and, and reading up on it, it kind of took me back to my childhood. How many of you have ever seen A Bug's Life? Like, this is what is going to happen. If you've ever seen the movie, It's A Bug's Life... The ants would harvest, the ants would go out and they would get all the grain and then the evil grasshoppers would come in and take whatever they wanted. But this isn't some cute little Disney movie happening, all right? This is real life where they would come in, invade their, their territory, invade their nation and take whatever they wanted. Maybe some of you older uh, guys out there, maybe like a Rambo 4 in Burma, that type of thing. They wouldn't come in and be all cute and say, excuse me, can I have some stuff? They would go in with any force necessary and take what they wanted and needed and driven by fear. And so this is the kind of the picture that we're dealing with. This is what Israel was suffering under for four years. They would come in and take their food to the point where they were hiding in, in caves. They would put it in, in walls and, and strongholds to try and preserve themselves because they were going through food, food shortages. If they don't have food, what, what else are they going to do? And they got to the point where they turned to God and they were like, listen, we're doing the math. We don't have enough food. Like we, we got, we, like they turned back to God because they have no other hope. And then Gideon comes into the picture. We skip down, it says this. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat under the, the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So whenever we get introduced to new people within the Bible, there's... There's some things that we kind of look at. And the Bible, you know, being a piece of literature, tries to describe the characters. So the first thing we see about Gideon is that he's in a place that he's really not supposed to be. See, he, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. 
And you're like, what does that even mean today? Like, we, we have big machines that do for us. Well, what they, we used to do, the way they would thresh wheat, the way they would get grain, is they would go up on a high hill, and they would go up, and they would take the bundles of wheat, and they would smack it. And what would happen? They would just kind of beat the thing, and the grain would fall, and being up on the high of the hill, the wind would carry the chaff, and it would carry it out, and so they could separate it all. Instead, you find Gideon in a wine press. And he's doing that because he's afraid. And we know something else is going on here. This is harvest season. So he's collecting the harvest. He's nervous because he knows what's coming. He knows what's going to happen. And then you have God show up. And I love God. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Listen, you wouldn't find a mighty warrior in a wine press, in a place that, that he wasn't supposed to be because of his fear. Like, that's not... Not a good, great quality of a mighty warrior is fear. Yet God addresses him with this title. God gives him this title before any action is ever taking place. And then Gideon comes in, and verse 13, he says, Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, But the Lord, and I doubt he said it like this, because you can imagine just having the Lord before you. He, he probably didn't say, Pardon me. He was probably like scared or nervous or shaken or startled. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon said, But the Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? We're all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us hands, given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So the first thing we see that Gideon gets confronted by the Lord and he comes and he questions God. He asks a question and this is going to be a common theme that we see within Gideon. And then God says, listen, go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that you have. Save Israel. Just go do that. It's cool. Just go ahead and do that. Like, and Gideon's probably like, whoa, wait, what's up? And Gideon does what most people do when they're called. They come up with excuses. They think of a reason not to. I'm the, we have the weakest clan. If you were here last week, they were probably the clan in the back, you know, of the lineup before an army took by. Like, oh, is the war over yet? Like, they, they were not the, the toughest clan. And uh, beyond that, he was in the weakest family and probably the weakest family member. Gideon was Probably, I, I don't know what the weakest meant, but maybe he weaked in physical strength. Maybe he had no talents. Maybe he had no skills uh, of fighting. He was probably just a normal, a normal or even less than normal dude. And we see God approach him and give him this title. And Gideon then comes in and makes excuses. We continue reading in verse 16. It says, the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Like, just picture what he was feeling when he said this. Because we're going to talk about how many that God is painting this picture of what he's actually saying when he's going, you're going to strike down all these, you're going to leave none alive. 
Verse 17, Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eye, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon goes, he makes this offering, and the Lord consumes it up in fire right in front of him. And Gideon uh, gets a little scared. But what is going on in this picture here, and who is talking to Gideon? This is the coolest part. This is the pre-incarnated Christ. This is Jesus before he, he was born. That, that, and we know this through a couple of things, that it wasn't from a messenger that, that Gideon was getting this, this message. This person is also speaking with authority, and he's saying, I will be with you. And Gideon's getting called, and then all of a sudden, he's like, well, he questions him again. Well, just to make sure, like, I need to see something else. And the Lord consumes, and in verse 22, it says, When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face, which often we see so often in the New Testament. And Gideon's response is normal. He says, Peace, do not, or the Lord says, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. And we see that in the New Testament when people come face to face with God, they tend to to think they're going to die or get overwhelmed with the fear of dying. And so verse 24, so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. We skip down a little bit further down. God approaches Gideon again. It says, that same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants, and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than the daytime. So, a couple things we see here. Gideon is afraid. He doesn't do it during the day. He goes in at night. And he, but we do see something interesting. He takes 10 people with him. So we see this kind of like level, uh, a little bit of leadership come up within Gideon. And he goes and he tears down these altars that were built by uh, false gods of surrounding nations. And so Baal was a god that most nations worshipped. And it was the god that was thought to bring food. So perfect story for, for Baal, right? It, it, was, it was the god that provided rain. But the way that they would worship this God was evil. Nothing that we would even see today. They would cut themselves. They would sacrifice kids. They, they would do evil, evil things. But they thought through this worship, they would send rain, and ultimately rain would produce crops. And so as, as Israel were, was around these surrounding nations, kind of letting them in, they started seeing this worship, and, and Israel started participating in it because food is such a... a a huge part of life. And so they, they believed, you know, well, we can worship Baal too because we want to eat and we want rain, we want all that stuff. And so at night, Gideon takes 10 people. What ends up happening, they cut down and the townspeople and his father wakes up and they go to stone Gideon. They want him dead for what he did. And Gideon's father kind of goes, well, if Baal is truly mad, let Baal deal with Gideon. 
Baal, you know, if he's truly a, a god, let, let Baal deal with Gideon. That's where they left it. But the interesting thing and just kind of the perspective to look at the way that Israel was really functioning, that in the Old Testament, when people in the nation of Israel would, would worship other gods, when they would build altars, they were sentenced to death. Like that was the consequence when people would stray away and, and worship other gods. Yet we see here that Gideon tears down their altars, yet they want to stone Gideon for that act. They've taken God's words and, and twisted it and used it uh, in a way. And that's just kind of painting the picture of where this nation of Israel was at. I love Gideon because he questions God, and we see this theme throughout. He questions, yet, and God confirms Gideon gets scared, yet he still does it. He still does it. We skip down to uh, verse 33. It says, Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in this valley, Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizarites to follow him. So that's within his clan, a certain family, Abizarites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout uh, Manasseh calling them to arms. So Gideon's building this army right now. He's getting everyone together. There's this valley. So everyone came in. It's harvest season. Here, you can actually go and visit this valley. It's kind of cool. And Gideon's, it, all his army called everyone. They're on the hill. Now at the time, this valley, is, as they're all coming in, has about 135,000 people camped out in this valley, ready to take over ready to go into the nation of Israel, take all their grain, and leave. Like, it is massive. And you can kind of probably picture what it would look like. Uh, just 135,000 tents, all their animal, all their uh, supplies, all everything that they would need is just kind of camped out down in this valley. And we read on verse 36, Gideon said to God, so he's picturing this, he's He's up on this hill, and Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place this wool fleece on the threshing floor, where he was supposed to be threshing wheat, right? On this threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all around the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And, this, and that is what happened. Gideon rose Early the next day, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Verse 39, then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. This is Gideon again. Let me just make one more request, allowing me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Again, this is showing the picture of Gideon. Sometimes we look at him and we're like, man, where, where's your faith, Gideon? But I bet you I would do the same thing. <laughs> you're picturing out on the, on the horizon 135,000 men and, and you're standing there with your, your army from the weakest tribe going, okay, guys, we're going to get this. Yet we see God's grace and mercy and willingness and patience with Gideon to confirm it says this as we continue reading. Early in the morning, this is uh, verse 1 in chapter 7. Early in the morning, 
Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Harad. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hills of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So Gideon was able to get 32,000 men to go where, you know, we got to stand up. This is it. They're coming in. They're going to take all of our grain. 32,000 men stood up, and then God was like, no, 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 that's, that's, that's too many. Because with 32,000 men, they were four to one. So for every one of Gideon's men, there was four other guys out there. And God said, you have way too many. Anyone that's too scared, anyone that, that doesn't want to be a part of this, just, just send them back. Because guess what? If you take 32,000 men and you overcome them, you, you're, you're going to take the glory. You're, you're going to get the recognition. You, there would be people that would believe that maybe, yeah, they, they did it. They, you know, they, they were able to do it. And so Gideon's left with 10,000 men. And then we continue reading, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men after this 10,000 that were left. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps, and from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men drank the cupped hands, lapping like a dog. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give you to the Midianites, or give the Midianites into your hands. Let all of the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. So I think the spring, can we show the picture of the spring? Nope, not that one. Go to the picture of the spring. This is where this was that you can go and visit this place. It is all gated off. You can go. The spring is still flowing today. Uh, it probably looks a little bit different. But you can go there, and you can see the place on this mountain where Gideon was being. So I, I just, I tried to picture, because it started early in the morning of that day before they go into battle. And every, out of every 30 men, only one of them was selected. And they were probably coming up in a line and Gideon was maybe standing there like, this is the night before battle, that type of feeling. And he's seeing his men kind of dwindle down and getting sorted out. And then what they're actually saying is lapping like a dog. We got a picture. Of course, I use a pug. Um, but I have a pug, so I love pugs. But what it is is lapping like a dog is like a dog's tongue goes down into the water and brings it back up. And so you could picture the men that come up and like this. Instead of the men, they're just sticking their face right into the water. I have to think there has to be something to do with like warrior, being prepared. Like you don't put your head in the water when you're about to go into battle, right? You're kind of looking around a little bit as you're bringing the water up. And so, so he takes those 300 men, he sorts them down. So now we're at a ratio of every one Gideon's guys to 450 men. 
there was probably a point where he just wanted to like give up. Uh, it was probably terrifying for him. We continue reading into verse 8. It says, Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up. Go down against the camp. So that night, go all down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So Gideon, this whole time, his kind of doubt in himself the fear that you kind of just this character of who he is. And he, he's just like, like, what am I doing? And God's like, listen, listen, if you're scared, go ahead, go down there. Go down and, and take a listen. Because I, if I was getting with 300 men and God was asking me, like, listen, you're going to take on 135,000 down there. Um, I don't know if I would have ate all day. I think I would have been pale in the face. Uh, I don't know, just the emotions that these men were feeling. Have you ever been so excited or afraid where you were shaking the whole time and you just couldn't control it? Maybe he felt a little bit like that. Maybe he felt like he had to have it all together because he was the leader that was about to, to bring these 300 men down. I don't know. But I'm sure he felt all the emotions of, a, uh, of nervousness and, and being afraid all at once. And God knew that and God provided for him. It says this as we continue reading. So he and Peru, Perua, uh, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tents with such force that the tents overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hand. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches, uh, with torches inside. So, quite a battle, right? Here's your trumpet, here's your jar. Like, uh, have fun, you're going to battle. I don't know, <laughs> scary. Um, but... We see here that sometimes, you know, God gives us the encouragement at the perfect time. Gideon, even though some people look at his faith being a little bit weak or not strong, uh, Gideon was still willing to do it. Gideon was still being obedient. I think sometimes in those situations, when those things like that happen, that we have the, our faith, our doubt, our fear, our worry, our stress, anxiety, all come at us at a whirlwind, and that is exactly what he was feeling, and the, God gave him exactly what he needed in that moment. I think at the end of hearing that passage, I think Gideon gets the last bit of what God realized the whole time, that he was a mighty warrior. That Gideon realized his call of being a mighty warrior. In verse 17, 
Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men uh, with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. So it was about 10 p.m. at night. So when it was night, they went to bed. And so this is kind of in the middle of their sleep. Just after they have changed the guards, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars uh, that were in their hands, just causing chaos. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasp, grasping the torches in their hands and holding in their right hand the trumpet. So that's what they had. And they shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon while each man held their position around the camp. All the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. And the 300 trumpets sounded, and the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords, causing chaos, and the men didn't know what was going on. They didn't know who was with who, and it was in the middle of the night. They just got woken up from sleep, and they just start killing each other. And, many, and then Gideon and all his men follow him, and, and really it was a 1 verse 450. That was the final outcome then. All those people ran away, and they were all, like God promised, done. Today's, the truth is very basic. Pretty sure every pastor uh, in the world has said this line, and so it's my turn. God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips those he calls. God doesn't call the equipped, the people that look like they have it all together, the people that, that on the, maybe on the outside seem like that is the person, that is the, the guy or the girl that can do it. No, God equips those he calls, and Gideon is the perfect example of that. A scared, weak man who doubted, who hid, who tested God, but he was obedient. No matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your family you're from, no matter how strong, athletic, how old you are, it doesn't matter when God is with you. And that's the theme within this book, that God was always with his judges. And those judges were able to rise up and do some miraculous things because God was with him. My challenge for you today is that I believe everyone in this room, and I don't know what it is, we're called. God calls us to something. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're going through your head that God has been prodding you or, or speaking something into your, into your life, and you're, maybe you've been ignoring it. Maybe you've been like Gideon, uh, questioning yourself, questioning your ability. Maybe God's simply calling you to know him better. Maybe God is calling you to move your family in a different direction. Maybe God is calling you to drop something, a habit or an addiction or move in a different direction. And you know that's true, but you, you don't think you can do it. But when God calls us and God is with us, God is all, we're always going to succeed because God is the one who's going to get the glory. And so as we leave here today, as we go through our week, as you spend time with the Lord, God is always going to give you the title first. He's going to give you your calling first, your title first, and what, who you are, what you're supposed to be. And, and it could be as basic as 
You are called love. You are accepted. You are pursued. And to live in that calling of being loved, being pursued by a, a loving Lord, being valued, being accepted, and just knowing that. Because by every human measure, Gideon was not a mighty warrior, but God calls you based on who you are in him, not how you see yourself. And so I encourage all of us to, as we leave and go through this week and maybe go home and read Judges 6 through 8 and just kind of be reminded of Gideon and then ask yourself some questions. What is God calling me to? Who does God want me to become? Who does God already call me? What name does he call me that I'm not living up to? Let's pray. Jesus, we, we come before you and we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we could worship you. We thank you that, that you call us sons and daughters, that you call us loved, Lord, and that we can all live up to that and walk in confidence uh, of who you declare us to be through your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that if they, if they feel that doubt that they are not loved or if they are not a son or daughter or if, or if, if, if they believe a lie that, that they feel, are rejected by you, that you would just wipe that away, that you would reconfirm who they are. And so, Lord, help us to just process that fact, process that truth, uh, who we are in your name, and to live up to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. Uh, we will see you next week.